Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Viva Manfredo. Virgin Territory, a podcast by the CSBH. I'm your host, Vima Manfredo, with pronouns she and her. And I have a special guest host today. Um, Josh Manfredo, my spouse, uh, is joining me. And we have our guest, Kara Haug, um, from Reframing Our Stories. Hi, Kara. Hi. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I appreciate it. Um, so... Let's start by introducing yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Tell our, our listeners uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Kara Haug, and I'm a sexuality health educator. And uh, my business is called Reframing Our Stories, LLC. And uh, it's basically about um, helping people reframe their stories around sexuality. And my business partner and I focus on helping schools, families, and churches, because we believe that those are um, three systems in our lives that affect us greatly around our sexuality. And so it's in those spaces where we like to um, help the communities, you know, uh, be able to have better conversations around sexuality without shame uh, and learn how to engage uh, in the important conversations so that's awesome. basically what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, thank you for joining us. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast with us. Um, so what do you to become in a sex educator, a sex health educator? So I have worked with youth really since I was 18. I've been like a camp counselor and everything like that and um, have worked uh in foster care and worked as a youth and family minister. Um, so I've and worked in daycares and I've been surrounded by youth and families. And what I recognized is as people gained my trust, uh, these youth would ask me all the time about sex and they just wanted questions and they would talk about their bodies and talk about relationships. And I recognized uh, that I didn't have the answers I wanted to give them. Uh, And I also recognize the disparity of education that was happening across uh, demographics, I would say. Um, I worked for a while in DC with a very wealthy population. And, you know, the kids did a lot of different things and they were looking for guidance and they felt a lot of pressure and they talked to me about what that felt like for them. And I worked in foster care and I had so many of a of my caseload of kids who had been sexually abused and then who would go into very conservative or religious homes and constantly hear the messages of if you have sex before you're married then it's a sin and hear these words but then um these children you know didn't they didn't see the difference compared to what happened to them and then what was being said. And all I saw them feel was that they were bad. And I had a really hard time with that and I did not like that. And so I wanted to be able to be a resource 
for youth and I wanted to be able to help them have conversations and help families. So I went back to school and studied sexual health education and counseling and just decided that I wanted to, you know, then bring it into these spaces like I talked about with churches and uh, families and schools. And I also, I also thought about churches because of the fact that I actually have a master's of theological studies. And so I, I have the ability, right, <laughs> um, right, to kind of break down some of these things and enter into conversations in those spaces. So that's what made me become <laughs> a sexual health educator. So that's that's really interesting. So on on this podcast, um, mm-hmm. we've we've brought in a couple of different speakers, but this is the first time we're actually um, looking at uh, sexuality, sexual health, and spirituality. And I'm just curious, you know, at least through your experiences, what has been uh, either the most significant part of introducing sexual health and sexuality uh, in places such as churches or schools that might have a heavy Christian doctrine or potentially some other type of religious doctrine involved? So most of the churches that I have worked with, first of all, um, are at the space place where they're more open to having these conversations where they're recognizing that it's past due. Uh, And so when I go into these spaces, you know, we recognize and I always set up the fact of like this, this is hard. And because we've not had these discussions before. And I always say, you know, our spirituality and our sexuality are intimately connected, whether you believe in it in a God or not. And I said, um, and we are always told, you know, we grew up being told different things. And even if we're in the same religious space, we might have completely different beliefs, you know? So I always try to set up a brave space for people to recognize we come here with so many different knowledges uh, around sex and a different belief system. But I say like, we have to start understanding that our spirituality and sexuality are combined and intertwined. And so when we are in a space where we are connected and feel like our creator, we're going to try to connect to our creator. But when the topic of sex and who we are as sexual beings is brought up and it's either met with resistance or shame or disapproval, right? Then what happens is that we are disconnecting ourselves and our worth from our creator. And that is a very important relationship. And it also then is making us feel like we're not worth anything, right? Like that our worth and value is less than. And so we, and and me as someone who is Christian and a spiritual person believes that we have been created as sexual beings, as we know from science, right? And from other things, like we were created and uh, part of how we become more than is by having sexual relations. And so that's a part of who we are and it integrates with our life in every aspect. And so to not um, take care of that in a space where that's also a place where we should be learning about um, our spirituality, I think is extraordinarily damaging. How do you, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I mean, cut you off. How do you, how do you find, or, or how is, how, what is the reception like when you talk about um, 
sexuality and sexual health from a science-based perspective in a church environment. And and I'll and I'll discuss. I have questions about the schools as well, but um, because mm-hmm. we're because we're talking about the church right now, um, I wanted to bring yeah. that question up. Um, I haven't had really a problem, to be honest with you. Uh, I do talk about from a scientific point of view, and then I will believe, uh, bring in some theological points to back up some of the things that I'm saying. Um, and then, of course, you bring in story and people's experiences, and you talk about those things. Um, we do a lot of small group discussions. Uh, and, you know, there's been times when people have gotten escalated, right, where people have been mad about something and I take a step back and I stop what's happening and we talk about it uh or um you know I ask the person do you need to take a break and sometimes they do and need to leave the space uh I had a particular experience experience where a person um grew up where sex wasn't talked about at all and it was very upsetting to be hearing how much I was open and talking about sex in such a way that wasn't um, attached to like a hushness, right. Where you're just like sex. Um, and that really upset that person. And so we then later connected and talked more about, um, their experience with that. And then, uh, they were able to once stepping away, then process more of their emotion around that. Um, so I think when you add in the fact that it's a holistic experience, and when I also, one of my favorite activities to do is I ask them to define sex and then I ask them to define sexuality and they recognize by doing that exercise that it's much harder and more multi-layered than we give it credit for. And so then doing these kind of break, these um, icebreakers gets them to open up and recognize like, oh, this is what I need to talk about. And um I, one of the activities I do too, that's my favorite is I, um, ask them to write down adjectives about God. And then I say, no, I have sex on another, uh, you know, page or poster. And I say, now write adjectives about sex. And what we find is that a lot of the adjectives that we wrote for God and sex are rather similar. And I said, this is what we should be talking about. This is the stuff that uh, in which we can nurture each other in community by having these conversations and not the conversations of who are you having sex with and how, which is what a lot of churches do. And I think that's part of one of the things that when people talk about, you know, um, shaming sex within within the church or it's just an area where you're not going to go and talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's probably one of the biggest things. Um, I'm curious when you're um, in your discussions, you know, do you mm-hmm. also talk about um, ways in which people can use um, protection or do you mm-hmm. focus solely on the pleasure aspects of it? So, uh, for instance, I do a lot of conversations with parents primarily. Um, and so some of the things I talk about is it's important for them to talk and teach their children about contraceptives and how to stay safe. And I say, because of the fact that, um, wouldn't it be nice, like we wanna feel cared for in a relationship and we wanna feel um, that we're being seen and learning how to have these conversations and learning how um, to keep ourselves safe or safer, then that's showing us that we are being cared for. 
and that we are being nurtured. Uh, and I talk about a lot of the times to think about how you want to talk to your children and what you want for them. What kind of relationships do you want for your child? And then as you're thinking about that and writing that down, you know, I give them exercises to do that. And like, then these conversations are going to make more sense because whether you want them to wait till they're married, if they choose to get married, I always say like, you know, our, our kids are going to do things that, um, maybe we've not thought about or had intended before because that's, they're their own people. And some, and it's okay if a person chooses not to get married and, you know, it depends on the relationship they are in. And so, um, I always talk about when we're in committed partnerships, you know, we need to learn how to have these important conversations and to stay safe because that's also telling your kids how much you love them and how you care about them. And um, there's been some uh, parents before who were, who talks about, talked about abstinence and that they really wanted that for their child. But after I talked about, you know, the average age for when, um, of marriage happens as you're in your late twenties and things and that we have to give our kids the why, you know, um, I say, always say like, when I was 13, I thought a 29 year old and 30 year old was ancient, right? <laughs> yeah. They were really old. <laughs> and I was like, so you can't feasibly expect that your child, you know, whose hormones are telling them and wanting them to, you know, explore themselves and wanting them to explore about intimacy and connection you know, like we have to give them more than just you have to wait till marriage because that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Yeah, especially especially these days where, you know, you can find out just about anything you want anywhere you want. And some of that information is great information and some of it is just it's, plain awful. Right. Um, so if you, you know, I, I grew up in the mindset of, you know, if your parents said no, I just wanted it that much more, exactly. no, no matter what it was, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you tell someone, hey, you know, we want you to be abstinent, and then you, you push this on them without explaining, you know, how to have safe sex, what sex might mean, not just physically, but emotionally as well, and having those those frank conversations, mm -hmm. they're going to they're gonna dive in headfirst at an opportunity that, you know, I was told no, I'm going to do it today. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it may, it may, you know, impact them, you know, not immediately, but down the road in, in ways that they hadn't planned for. And that would be really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so we, we do want to, you know, promote safety and, you know, good information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also, you know, some of the things I say to them is like, how would your life been different if someone said to you, I love you so much that I want the best kind of relationships that you could have where some where you feel like you're respected cared for and when you experience pleasure and so in order to have those those the kind of relationship then i'm going to have conversations with you that might feel awkward at first or i'm going to help um talk to you about ways that your body can stay safe in relationships if you choose uh to be intimate with a person um I said to them, like, how would your life be different if someone took the time and said those things to you? You know, and there's yeah. always a, an audible, oh. it's a release because they get it, right? 
they know like we are floundering in so much of our personal experiences around intimacy of just trying to figure it out because we weren't given those conversations, you know? And so, I mean, really, I get a lot of hope because I see so many parents wanting better for their kids and they're wanting to have and engage in this. And they recognize, I think, the fact of not talking about it and then having that aspect of shame be placed upon us, like in that Christian community for so long, has done, has mostly caused damage than it's done anything else. Right. And it's so important to have all these conversations with, with your your kids or the people that you are a mentor or an important figure for. Um, we don't have kids, but we have children in our lives from our friends, from our family, our, our nieces, nephews, that we also want to be a good um, mentor in a good role model for them. And part of that is being open to have these conversations, understanding that they will have questions and they'll need to talk to someone. It may not be their parents because of that parent-child relationship. It could be yeah. your your favorite aunt or, or uncle or your mom's best friend because she's always around the house, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but it's so important to have these conversations with kids are, like you said, shame-free, um, that include pleasure, consent, different ways of how relationships look like, um, not just the heterosexual um, narrative, but including the rest of the LGBTQ rainbow and un understanding that also monogamy may not be the thing for you. You may end up being in a polyamorous relationship, but understanding how to navigate that, how to advocate for yourself mm -hmm. and speak up for yourself in terms of consent, in terms of advocating for your own pleasure, all those things are so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say like one of the major conversations too that I have at churches is teaching them of understanding more about gender identity and orientation. Uh, and quite frankly, I love those conversations. <laughs> I love doing those workshops and being able to um, help them see the vastness of sexuality and help them seeing putting it into a theological framework for them too of recognizing like you know if we believe God has great love that's big and wide then why doesn't God's creation experience the same right and so it makes sense for us to love big and to love many and it makes sense for us um, that some of us might experience an identity that doesn't match our sex and that's okay and that's still part of creation that we can look at and marvel at and wonder at and think is fascinating right um i talked to him about like so much of our lives um we uh, may not understand right because i talked to him like again when people say a truth that may not be yours um that's when people put up walls And that's when people feel um, sometimes instantly wounded. And that's why these conversations are hard. And it's hard for them to then lower those down to get to know another story or get a, a, a new understanding of things. But then I put it in the framework of, you know, faith is all about mystery in a sense. And faith is about a belief in something that you don't fully understand. We may not fully understand another person 
and we not fully understand their sense of sexuality compared to ours because human sexuality is vast. But why can't we look at that with wonder and fascination and mystery like we do with faith? I think, you know, that's, I, I think that's why they call it faith. Exactly. You need right. you need quite a bit of it. You need a lot of it. Um, right? so. I, I'm curious mm-hmm. too, and I eventually want to want to transition over to talking about some of your work in schools too. But I, yeah. as you're talking, I still have a couple more questions that just pop in my head, so I apologize. Sure. No. Um, in, in some of these discussions too, I mean, you know, we you've you've talked a lot about you know trying to relate things back to um, things that either either through you know. Um, holy writings or whatever else, some other story that somebody might relate to to explain some of your points. Um, do you also bring in a sense of nature into any of your conversations? Because if we're talking about, you know, faith-based um, sexual health or sexuality, and, and I apologize if that's not the term you might use, um, just the first word that popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of things in a very narrow lens, and that is humanity. You know, what is what is right for humanity or what does God think about humanity and possibly um, sexuality? Uh, but yet there are examples all through nature where there are different types of sex that occur and at different levels. Do you relate any of that to human sexuality at all to try to prove a point? Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, from the again with nature, right, I one of the things I discuss is. I talk about, for instance, isn't it interesting that we have this story about being created in a garden? And I said, what's in a garden? I got to talk about all the different species. I'm like, but the fact too that there's flowers with, you know, male and female reproductive parts and different things like that. And I bring in the fig tree and I said, <laughs> the fig tree, you know, when they were ashamed or whatever, they pulled the figs or the leaves, right, to cover themselves. That's what it says in the story. And I go, have you ever looked at a fig? I was like, if you look at a fig hanging from a tree, it looks like male genitalia. But when you open a fig, it looks like female genitalia. And so I talk about like, what else is happening? And what's like, let's look beyond some of the words or let's look like what else is happening in these stories and what they tell us, right? And, you know, nature, again, uh, the way that some animals uh, get together, you know, are there have been known to be, you know, same sex animals <laughs> getting together and different things like that. So, yeah, like I do bring some of that into it. And I also discuss the fact that when we were when we we're in the womb, you know, our genitalia, we have the same tissue that starts off the same and then. Uh, and I then I discuss like homologous parts and all of that stuff. So, is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was asking. I because yeah. I was as I was thinking of things, I'm like, well, how else might I try to relate? You know, ty- some mm-hmm. types of discussions you're having to to someone who might, you know, and and I and I congratulate you that you're that you're getting into spaces that are open. And there are a number of churches who are open. So by getting invited in there, though, I also feel like the congregation is also opening to talk about these types of things. And open mm-hmm. to, I don't want to use the word change because that's a scary word for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. at least to examine um, different ideas that could open up either worlds of possibility, different types of thought. And at the end of the day, they can still respectfully disagree, but at least yeah. they were able to hear a different point of view than they've heard in the past, which I think is always refreshing. Yeah. And really my hope in doing this work with churches is that 
one, we have to recognize that the church as an institution has hurt many people. It really has. And it has um, caused some serious harm. Uh, and I, so I feel like as someone who also has experienced some of that harm, but also recognizes the way that a church has taken care of me in my own personal life, um, I feel like a church can become a change maker if we, one, recognize the harm we have done, and two, start to reconcile that by opening our spaces in a safe way, right? To, um, in some of the things I talk about too with churches is, you know, how do we talk about touch in our space, in our worship experience? Do we allow for consent and passing of the peace? Uh, if people don't want to shake hands, what are we offering for them? Because sometimes people don't like touch, you know, so bringing in some of these elements too, and creating the space to talk about the fact we're spiritual and sexual beings, um, and allowing people to explore the part of themselves and talk about it openly, um, you know, that's, that's going to help so many people, right? <laughs> like, um, but unfortunately, too, there's a lot of other churches that aren't ready for that and continuously um, push away the conversations of sexuality um, in a way that it only um, aligns with a certain, you know, kind of idea. And so, I mean, there's a lot to be done, but I'm hoping little by little I can help with that. Yeah, I, I could only speculate that there might be, and I don't know if you if you meet some resistance, even though, you know, you're being invited in, that there are some folks who might want to participate in the discussion, um, but feel like if they were either to out themselves or to um, express a belief that's different from the church, that they would feel like they're being, you know, somehow it would come back and they would be ostracized um, mm-hmm. from the community. And I think, you know, people might be hesitant to participate if that was the case. I don't know if you actually experienced any of that. Um, I have not. Um, I I feel like in most of the places I have been, uh, there has been an openness. And really, the churches that I've worked with have recognized, like, we need to have these conversations. We need a change. Um, and they're looking for guidance and how to do that. So, I mean, that's hopeful, right? <laughs> that, so... Um, yeah. So we're about like halfway through the podcast here, and, we, and we've talked a lot about the faith-based aspect of it, but you also do a lot of work in schools as well. I do, yeah. Well, I work with schools and families. Um, I will say I do not, one, I do not bring in religion to church or to schools. Um, well, all. the fact that you're bringing in sex into the school might might be more than enough for some people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So I've done mostly, most of the schools I've worked with have been um, I have been mostly with the grades fifth through seventh, um, is what I've had the most experience with. And, uh, I love it. Like I love, um, a lot of the schools who I've worked with, I talk with the principal and the teachers and I ask them, you know, what do your students need and what do you think we need to focus on? Um, I look off obviously at state guidelines of what, uh, is what they require to teach, um, but what's fantastic is a lot of the schools I've worked with have been able to say, you know, for instance, one of the things I teach is intimacy and social media in um, one of the schools. And we talk about the what is intimacy 
um, and the various kind of experiences of intimacy? And then what does that look like on a social media platform? Because they've already had a lot of kids kind of getting into trouble on social media or having negative experiences. And so we do a lot of talking around those spaces and just um, recognizing how we form connection and um, also then what gives us our sense of value. Um, so it's been what really wonderful in the way that we can explore all these different areas together. And um, I just try to make it really fun, I guess, and engaging for the kids. And, and, and so that's for that's for grades five through seven, because if, if so, mm -hmm. it has evolved quite a bit since I was in elementary school, um, oh, yeah. where the talk oh, yeah. where, the, where it was essentially the talk where you, you know, you sat in the room. Actually, I think my first one was in about fifth grade. Um, mm -hmm. with the school health nurse and you watched uh, a short video that talked about male parts and female parts and you know this is what you don't want to do and you know um, mm -hmm. so not I don't want to say it was abstinence based because it wasn't but mm -hmm. um, you know and that and it talked a little bit about self hygiene as well and at the end of the day you were given a baggie with a deodorant if you were a male and you know maybe a safety razor and then the the ladies were also given deodorant and maybe uh, you know a maxi pad or something like that and then that was it we were on to study science and yeah. you know so yeah. and, and, and that's and where that it was ended, the last of the conversation right? <laughs> and so so then growing up you know being at so I'm I'm uh, I consider myself one of those elder millennials we're the we're the tip of the spear for our generation both of you and I yeah. and so our our introduction in into the internet world was on platforms like uh like AIM for AOL or MSN mm -hmm. Messenger and yeah as, as a young kid you'd get onto a chat room cuz that's that was the place to be we didn't have Twitter or Facebook or all the other stuff at that time and people would be predatory. The second you'd get in, you'd say hi, and someone would, you know, text back ASL. They wanted to know your age, what gender you were, and where you were located. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, nobody had that talk with me of this is what you need to watch for because my parents never had to deal with that. So it wasn't a conversation yeah. we had. So the fact that you are you are talking about what intimacy means, you know, to people mm -hmm. at, at such a developmental stage in their life, I think is, is fantastic. And then also incorporating the social media aspect, that's... Um, if I could give you a round of applause for that, I would, but my microphone would pick up way too much feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I do that I find to be, um, I've done this at a few retreats that I've spoken at and um, with high schoolers and with young kids. And what we do is I uh, have them, I have this mask that is just a plain white, like mask that you get at a craft store. And I give them phrases uh, I will either hold it or if I'm in a retreat, I have different kids holding it. And I give them phrases that you see in comments, right, in YouTube or different things that are hurtful. And I say, I want you to read this to the person. And they're kind of caught off a of guard a little bit, but they read it and they snicker. And then I take the mask off and I say, now I want you to read them again. And what happens is they they have a hard time doing it or they look in a completely different direction and then they, they feel it. And I'm like, what does that feel like? And they're like, well, it's much harder. And I go, well, see, we think we're really brave when we're behind a screen and we think that we can just say whatever we want and you can see it all over the place and adults are no different. And I'm like, but we have to remember that there's a human there and it hurts, you know? And so we talk about that and, um, and I talk about the power of looking into our eyes and what that means. And I have them do activities where they talk to each other face to face 
Um, and it's always very powerful and they kind of get it. And then we talk about phrases that they hear all the time, like she's a whore or a slut and different things. I mean, not the younger kids. <laughs> like, Let me preface. Guess what I learned today in school. <laughs> this, these are the high schoolers that I work with in different retreats that I've been hired for. And I say like, well, why do you, th-? you know, I ask them, I'm like, they, they get upset that those phrases are still being used. And I said, well, do you, do you use them too? <laughs> you know? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, so then how do we stop? You know, and then we have these conversations about we have to change our behavior too in order to change um, it all together. So, yeah. So are, that are, is, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, that I just find that that is so important. Like I was going back to, yes, we are both older millennials and we grew up in the internet, but we didn't have any role models that taught us like what internet is and, and how it could be a power. A, power for good and a power for bad mm-hmm. um so that is such an important lesson to teach young and older kids um on on that there is another person behind the screen and that person could be kind to do harm and you need to protect yourself or you need to understand that that's a human and you shouldn't harm them having both sides of, of that coin be teachable moments is so important um and then going going back to what Josh was mentioning on on what we were taught in school around fifth grade, I think my school was even less than that. It was the the girls uh, will be taught the female reproductive uh, organs, the the boys will be taught theirs, and we never crossed each other. I remember mm-hmm. being into my late teens without knowing mm-hmm. anything about penises or how they worked or anything like that because I didn't have anyone like my 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 family's mostly women um except for my dad well he was always at work um I I could never ask him about any of that um so into my late teens and even as a 30 something adult sometimes I ask Josh questions about his body that I'm like I don't understand how this works (laughs) Yeah. Because I was never taught that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very happy to know that it's come a long way since then. Mm-hmm. And I hope that a lot of schools are doing that kind of teachable. Well, most arena. of the schools, when I, with fifth and sixth grade, especially, they're like, well, should we split up? Should we split them up? And I say, no, you should not. And they say, why? You know, and I'm like, well, it's important for everyone to know what all bodies do. And it teaches empathy. And you might have students who don't feel like the body they're in. And so we have to be able to, you know, make space for all, you know, all students. Uh, And, you know, I get comments from the kids of like, why did you have to put us together? This is gross and things like this. They say that until they get older. Right. (laughs) And then they don't want to be separated. (laughs) And then they want to know everything there is to know about the other sex. Exactly. (laughs) But then you also hear, you know, I would hear boys going, oh my gosh, you have to get, you get those periods and oh my gosh, you know, when they see the pads and they kind of look at them and um, look at the girls in the classroom and then some of the girls are like, you get erections, you know? (laughs) So I think it's important because we, you know, I tell them all the time, 
with puberty, I say, look at all of us are going through changes and uh, it's confusing. And all of us are wondering, are we normal? Is this okay? And I said, so in this time, as we are sprouting hair and starting to smell bad and things are just happening, this is the time when we care for each other. This is the time where we support one another. And this is not the time where we tease each other because it's hard sometimes. It's also exciting. And so if we can support each other in this time of change, how awesome is that? (laughs) So I try to build activities in the classroom to help them in those things. I give them different scenarios to say, this is an embarrassing moment that happened to your friend. How do you support them and stuff like this? So yeah, just to bring in that empathy. So yeah, that's so important to um, remove the shame because mm-hmm. a lot of the the things that happen to to you while, while you're moving through puberty, at least from my experience uh, growing up as a woman, are so shameful, or at least were taught to be so shameful. You can never say that you were in your period, or you can never say that you needed an additional pad or tampon or now cup. Um, those things were taboo and they were dirty and you needed to make sure that nobody knew, especially in, even in your own family. Like the only person that I dared tell that I needed something was my mom. And just because I didn't have a credit card, if I had a card, I wouldn't have even told her because of that shame of like, your bodies are not okay. And having someone reinforce the opposite, reinforce that, it's okay. This is normal. Yes, it sucks. We're not going to like put it on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to say it's a bad thing either. It's, it's a process that everybody goes through at their own pace and in their own bodies. And it's normal. Mm -hmm. I still remember in sixth grade, you know, in my school, you didn't tell anyone about it because people made so much fun about Mm -hmm. periods. Like I remember in the lunchroom, they would put red juice all over the table and be like, who had their period? And then um, my friend and I got in a fight and she goes, I'm going to tell everyone you got your period unless you do this. And I just remember going, oh, you know, <laughs> no. And so uh, I could just, I mean, there's just horror stories from, you know, my adolescence around puberty. And I'm like, if I can just help people not experience that, yeah that would be wonderful you know yeah I remember sitting in school fifth grade and I needed to go to the bathroom but I dare not tell my math teacher so I ended up sitting on my legs like crisscross with with my ankles under me and just staining my socks so it wouldn't get on the chair and no one would notice and then lying to everybody that I cut my ankles oh my goodness Oh, don't you just want to like hug your former <laughs> I, I I do. I'm like <laughs> my poor poor baby V needs to hug right now. <laughs> yeah. So like the um like the churches, are you are you invited into the schools and for the the high school students do you teach in the schools as well or are those just at the retreats? Uh, I've mostly taught high school students at retreats. Uh, oh. I haven't been into a high school yet uh, for regular sex ed. So so I imagine you're invited into these spaces as well. Yes. Yes. So I'm. Um, I mean, we we've talked about a lot of a lot of positive stuff, and and I don't want to necessarily be negative at this point, but I do want to understand, you know, and and our probably our listeners do too. 
Um, so when some of these students are coming to these retreats where you are invited to speak, do you have any challenges that you come up against with what they might be learning for sexual education in the school and then having to combat those, you know, possibly either negative connotations or notions or misinformation at the retreat? Yeah, so usually when I go into a retreat setting, I primarily send out something of, to ask either there's a, a set topic that I'm going to be talking about, or I actually ask the students to s circle or take a um, survey of what they want to talk about. And then I will choose kind of the top three that they have. And so, and then we just spend a lot of time on that. Uh, the because you know that sexuality can be talked for for days. <laughs> so it depends on the amount of time. That we I could have. go down a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. You could go. Yeah. So <laughs> um, in order to give it justice, like I believe, you know, to only do a couple topics at a time to really dig deep into it, um, because you often don't get that experience in schools, right? Usually sex education in schools is like, here's the facts. Let's go. But I like going down deeper. <laughs> I've always enjoyed um, getting into the meat of it and um, digging underneath. And so uh, they, they, I mean, we do dispel myths, right? That's part of education. They'll come and talk about certain things. And then I have uh, dispelled the myths around some of what they've heard. And then we just continue to talk. And then again, they provide information for me too, right? So it's the wonderful thing about human sexuality is we are all learning from each other and we all hold an expertise that someone might not have. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because as we as we talk to people for well, for mostly for me as I listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm hearing things that I've either never heard before, never experienced before, or never even mm -hmm. dreamed of trying. And mm -hmm. it's like, wow, if I'd have known that. 10 mm -hmm. years ago, maybe my knee could have handled that. <laughs> or, you know, if, if I understood this bit of information, maybe I wouldn't have hurt somebody in the past by referring to them either, you know, in a negative way or just not respecting um, and not and not through malice, just not respecting what it is they wanted to either, you know, be called or identified as because I didn't understand. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, it's education's two way street, 100 percent. And that's why I love the community, too, of within sex education and sex therapists, because we really, I mean, human sexuality is, I mean, we're learning more and more about it every day and everything's changing and it's actually hard to catch up, you know? And so having everyone in this community share with one another and really people all the time are like, Hey, I don't know what to do about this. Or I've never heard of this before. Can someone help lead me to resources? And I feel like the sex education community and therapists and counselors are so um, caring and willing to share or be like, I did this, you go do this too. It worked well in my community. Um, so I think we're really trying to always just help each other out and learn from one another because we do have vast differences. Now there was yeah. there was one question we still had on our in our sheet of prepared questions um mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna i'm gonna make us transition yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna make us transition one more time here sure. um because we have about 15 minutes or so left um and that is um your discussions that you have with families um mm -hmm. so now are those are those one-on-one -on -one with with a family or groups of families in a separate setting so um i have this thing called table talk 
And what happens is uh, parents, one family usually is interested in me teaching their kids. And so then they rally their other families and friends to bring in with it. Cause I'm always like, it's awkward just to be talking, about <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's bring it into a community experience. And so what happens is, um, and this happened pre COVID I do do it in the backyards now, but, um, the initial aspect of it is the parents and I, I give them ideas of what I think would be appropriate for me to teach with around age and developmental aspects for the kids based on, you know, having a conversation with them, uh, but they get to pick the topics. And so then I will teach, you know, children, those topics. And what happens is I sit with them at a table. I have one parent in the house, but they're not around. And I just build a rapport with them and we're sitting at a table and I have my laptop and I have activities and we sit and we talk and I teach them about sexual health on the topics that the parents decided. And when we're done, we have a meal together. Um, all the parent, all their parents come back and we all sit together and we have a meal and it's a way that we normalize the conversations. And it's a way then for the parents to know, okay, this is what my kids know now. And so it helps break that ice for them to then be the person to continue the conversation. And actually that's how reframing our stories started is because my partner, business partner was a former client and I taught her kids sexual health. And she said to me, Kara, you have changed the way my family talks about relationships. I know this works. I want to be a part of it. And so, um, before my, my business was Grace Unbound and I changed, we, um, Jenny and I got together and started reframing our stories. And that happened last July during the pandemic. So, <laughs> uh, but that's really what it is. And then also I talk with parents and I have parent nights, uh, where I just help, um, answer any of the questions parents have around that. So I love working individually with families. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. Well, you had you had set up my next question and then you answered it. And th- and that was, you know, at what point do the parents get involved, you know, and yeah. and when you're having these, you know, these discussions with with the children, you know, and even though the parents are in a different space, you know, how how would you have bridged what you talked about with their child with the parents like continue the discussion? But it's very clear that you already told our listeners about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I'm now I'm just reframing the question for the point of listening to myself talk. <laughs> but I, I do find that the, that format is very interesting and very different from all all other formats of education that we've seen um, go around either in school, in churches, in in Zoom webinars. Having that that intimate moment where you can talk to a small group of kids or and parents brings probably a different sense of conversation and probably a setting where kids can ask questions that at school they wouldn't ask them mm-hmm. um, and explore a little bit more on on their thought process um with a, when I'm one-on-one with the kids is that what you said yeah okay um yeah, so it's funny because uh, it's always weird, right, at first when I sit down with the kids because they're like, who is this woman? <laughs> Why are we here? I don't want to be here right now. And so I always acknowledge, like, 
and I make a joke and I'm like, I get that right now is not the time. <laughs> like you don't want to spend this time with me. And, um, but then I say, you know what, but we're going to, we're going to talk about understanding our bodies and relationships together. And it'll be fun. I'm not going to try to make it boring for you. And we just get into it. And I first, you know, tell stories and we just sit for a bit telling stories and talking to each other. Um, and so that they can feel a sense of closeness, right. And being able to be like, I'm not scary. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we go from there. And, and really what's awesome is because it's close knitted together, they open up, they immediately see like, okay, this is a place that I can say, uh, and be, um, nourished. And so, you know, sometimes kids talk to me about, as I'm talking with them, how they're not connecting with their parents and how it's been hard and they want to connect more to their parents, you know? And so we give tips back and forth about what is that like? And, you know, I say things to them as well. Like the fact that your parents put this together for you also means that they really care about you because this is important stuff. And that means a lot to them. And you can tell on their faces, like, okay, I get it. You know, is that what you were (laughs) going after? Yeah, definitely. Um, (laughs) Do you leave the parents with not a cheat sheet, but the the tools to continue the conversation? Um, Because like we said, we could be talking about sexuality for ages and never finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do do give them resource sheets. And of course, they always know that I am available to them um, through email and different things like that. And what happens then is they usually hire me back when the kids get older. So it's kind of like if they hired me for puberty, I get hired again for junior high and I get hired again for high school. Uh, because they know that the conversations change. Uh, and so then I get more in depth and then the kids like have a rapport with me and uh, are able to, again, open up more and have those conversations that they've been wanting to have. And I just encourage the parents and really as so many of them who've had this experience, such as said, it's so helpful. And I think because so much of our sexuality and the understanding of our of who we are and wanting to be cared for starts in the home. That's why those conversations to me are so important. And, th- and that's such an important continuation of, in- of, of conversations. Um, it's not just sit down with your kid and say, this is the talk and never talk again about the talk. It's just having that continual uh, conversation over and over again, adjusted for the age of, of your kids and what their life experiences have been throughout, throughout their, their lifetime. So we're almost at the top of the hour. Um, so before I let you go, I just wanted to give you the space to tell us what work you have coming up and um, tell us how to find you. Sure. So my website is www.reframingourstories.com. I also have a podcast called the Reframing Our Stories podcast, and it's, you can find it on Google Play and iTunes and Spotify um, and Podbean app. Um, But on my uh, website, you can see uh, it has different events that I'm putting together in classes. One coming up in mid-May is um, starting out strong, teaching your kids about sex or sexuality from 
when they're young, um, starting the conversations uh, as they're young. And I also have uh, conversation cards that my partner and I are creating. So we have some for churches called Sexuality and Faith Conversation Cards to start the process of having these conversations every day. I also now have some for families that aren't religious, um, but they are for preschool and kindergartners, and we're looking to build that up. So we're going to be publishing more for then first grade to third grade and uh, uh, all the way up through high school. And um, those cards help talk about emotions and relationships and body parts. And so giving parents the guide to start having the conversations. I'm all about how can I make things as simple as possible to start having these important conversations. Uh, so those are some of the things that we've been working on. And you can also find me on Instagram at Reframing Our Stories, as well as Facebook, also at Reframing Our Stories. Great. Awesome. Um, so thank you so much for spending the time with us. And thank you, Josh, for being my guest host today. Hey, it's um, been my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for all of you listeners, you don't have to park your car and write all of that down. It'll be on the show notes uh, where you found this podcast. And so give Kara uh, a follow and give us a thumbs up to both of us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. To learn more about the CSPH, please visit our website at thecsph.org. There, you can sign up for our newsletter, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work.